Hello, everybody. This is Tamsin Wolf, and this is the third episode of my podcast, Bullseye. Thank you so much for the support I've already been given from so many of you for what I'm doing here. It is truly heartwarming and even a bit overwhelming, and I'm very, very grateful for it. This episode definitely comes with quite a serious trigger warning and involves themes of child abuse and some pretty gross language at certain points. So please keep that in mind and maybe don't listen to it if you feel that that's going to be too triggering or upsetting for you. As I realise there are a lot of you out there who have been through similar things and it's probably quite difficult to listen to my stories at times. So yes, just always keep that in your mind. But anyway, I just, before I want to before I go into this story too, I just wanted to talk a little bit about my decision to bring what you might term the more sort of woo-woo elements into my stories because a lot of the time they are relevant, I think. It's, you know, I have a very strong belief in things like angels and divine intervention and prayer and everything like that. And it really is just such an integral part of my life and how I view things that they yeah that side of things does tend to come into the story and a lot of the time in these stories I believe there was divine intervention and I was very much saved from further strife or further damage at many points so I have made a decision to bring those elements in where relevant and I do understand that when people don't share the same beliefs about those kind of things, it could probably be a little bit off-putting, but it is who I am and I do believe an important part of a lot of things that I've experienced. So yeah, there will be spiritual aspects coming into the stories here and there. Also, before I go into the story, I actually thought that I really needed to explain a little bit about my mum and who she is in life because my relationship with her or lack of relationship at this point of my life is very relevant to a lot of the stories and why they happened as they did or, you know, just a lot of things that happened were due to my mum being the way that she was and is. I think that, you know, knowing what we know now, not that I'm in any way claiming to be a doctor or psychologist or anything like that, but in the 70s and 80s, I believe there was probably a lot of kind of personality disorders or mental issue stuff that went on, particularly with our parents, like kids grew up that grew up in that time, and we just didn't have names for them. We didn't have labels for them. There was just a lot of troubled women and a lot of troubled mums that had come through that sort of more step, what's it called, Stepford wife period and become, you know, wives and mothers when a lot of the time I just believe they probably weren't cut out for it. It wasn't what they really wanted to do. It was more or less expected of them. And I think that could have led to a lot of problems for a lot of people. There was a very big time in the 70s where I think lots of mums took a lot of pills and that certainly applied to my mum. And, you know, many was the time that you'd go into my mum's bedroom and she'd be pretty much knocked out on the bed with whatever she'd taken at the time. And oh, obviously now I look at it and it was her way of coping. 
and didn't make it any easier as children. But anyway, I got off track there. What I was going to say is that I feel like now that there's an obvious correlation there with mum's behaviour when we were children and something that I think could only really be termed you know, NPD in some way, some kind of narcissistic personality disorder. And I don't mean that in a way of wanting to shame her or upset her. It's a bit of a blessing that she's very technophobic and very likely will never listen to this because I don't set out to hurt her. I'm just trying to explain in the best way I know how what it was like for us as kids in the 70s with a mum that mothered how she did. She was a very glamorous woman and very big and prominent in the country and western scene in Tamworth as we were growing up. She sang both kinds of music and was pretty much, I suppose, if you could combine, I don't know, Tammy Wynette, Dolly Parton and Patsy Cline perhaps and get a bit of a picture of who she was in her spandex lycra kind of jumpsuits and big boots or big shoes and big hair. She even had an array of wigs that she'd donned when she wasn't happy with her hairdo. She'd got frequent perms and was only occasionally sort of happy with how they turned out. And when they weren't good enough, she would don one of her big high wigs. She's a very talented woman. She sang beautifully and was very popular on the scene. And my belief now, looking back at all this, is that I believe that was really what she was meant to be doing in her life and was never probably really cut out to be a mum and, you know, a stereotypical kind of wife of the 70s. It wasn't who she was. And I think that was very damaging for her and very depressing and anxiety-inducing. And that was also, again, set the scene for how she was going to behave as her children grew up. But anyway, I could go on and on about my mum, and she will come up a lot in certain stories, obviously, that she was um, often on the road with her band. She was often going to gigs, and a lot of the time that would be when some of these sort of bizarre things happened in my life because she often wasn't around, and I don't know whether these things would have happened anyway, even if she was, but it's just relevant to the story that mum was often away and us kids were often left to our own devices in a lot of ways. But this particular day, I was four years old, I can clearly remember that. It's one of my earliest memories, this story, and I even remember the dress I was wearing, which is funny, you know how you remember stuff like that when you have memories as a kid. I had a little gigam dress on that was either either that was the red and white check part was the gingham with a bit of blue on it, or it was blue and white gingham with a bit of red on it. I can't remember. But I know that it was way too small for me and it was just, you know, too tight and too short and you know when you've got a favourite dress when you're a little kid and you just won't let go of it? Well, I remember that's how I felt about this dress. I just loved it and didn't want to let go of or admit, I guess, that it just didn't fit me anymore. But I remember I was wearing that dress. It may have been the last day I ever wore it. And I was at my nana's place because my mum was away on the road with her band. And in my memory, 
I feel like this was an overnight stay at my nana's house in Tamworth. It may not have been. This could have all been in the same day that this happened, but for me, it doesn't. It's not how I remember it. I'm pretty sure it was an overnight visit, and that my cousin, my favourite cousin, had come over to play as well that day because we were definitely together at the beginning of this incident. And we had been playing, we were playing around the side of my nana's house, which was just a big grassy patch that we used to run around and play in in the sunshine and we were just chasing each other and playing with balls and having a lovely day. I can remember that quite clearly. I even remember, again, another funny thing you remember as a child that, you know, in the 70s, I don't know whether people have still got them now, they probably have somewhere, but often older people had the tap in the yards, like a water tap, and it would be covered by half a tyre or, yeah, like half a tyre that was sort of made into the shape of a swan or something like that. I remember this one was, as I think. I may be remembering that wrong, but I think it was in some sort of animal shape and it was a half tyre that covered the tap and that was a bit of a point in the story later on, but I remember clearly us running around and that being there. But all of a sudden, in the midst of us playing as we were, I saw a truck pull up just sort of on the side of the road, but just very near where we were, probably, I don't know, maybe 15 metres away from where we were playing. And I didn't think anything of it at first, obviously, because it was just a man pulling up in a truck. There were trucks everywhere around Tamworth and it was no big deal. But I over the next few minutes just sort of realised that the man that was sitting in the cabin of the truck, and I remember the truck even, I remember the truck, it was white and it had a very thick blue stripe, horizontal stripe down the side of the truck. I can remember what kind of blue and everything. And so I could have identified it fairly easily and the man I could have identified because his face will always remain in my psyche somewhere unfortunately but anyway I noticed that he was just fix fixated watching me and my cousin playing and I remember just keeping on looking up at him every so often and wondering why this man was just staring at us and then I'd go back to playing and but I do definitely remember being very uneasy I could remember it was probably one of my earliest I guess, almost psychic feelings of feeling like something was just wrong, fundamentally wrong. And after a while, he opened the window of the truck. It was He was on the driver's side, obviously, but the passenger side of the truck was what was facing us, me and my cousin. And he wound down the window of the passenger side and just started speaking yeah, quite loudly, not yelling, but just speaking through the window to me and telling me what a pretty little girl I was, and you know, were we having fun, what was my name, which I don't remember telling him, I don't think I did, because even at that age I knew that you weren't to do that to a stranger. And just as the conversation went on, or the one-sided conversation, it started to get heavier and definitely darker. He was asking me, did I like boys? Did I have a boyfriend? you got to remember I was four years old at this time. And I just remember being really just sort of freaked out by it, but not really knowing what to do or whether I should answer him or shouldn't or whether I was being impolite by not answering. 
as, as you know, we're very brought up to be polite as little girls, especially in that era. And as it was happening, as he was just saying more and more, you know, kind of off things to me through the window of the truck, I looked around and noticed that my cousin had run away and run back inside. So I feel like he obviously knew there was something wrong. And in his mind, I don't think he would have meant to abandon me in any way, but he just probably wanted to get away from the scene, which was a normal response. And so, yeah, he eventually said that he wanted me to sit down on the ground with my back against the tire swan thing that was over the tap. And I remember not knowing what to do, not understanding why he wanted me to sit down, but I did it. And I can just clearly remember feeling really uncomfortable, really scared, wanting to yell out to somebody in the house, but for some reason not being able to and not really being able to move. It was a very horrible kind of feeling of being frozen, I guess. And he kept saying things out the window to me, even when I was sitting there with my back against this tire and saying that I needed to get a suntan. I remember he started saying I needed to get a tan because I wasn't brown enough. And I remember, I mean, this all could have been very likely within two or three minutes, this whole unfolding but to me, I just remember it felt like forever, that it was just never ending and I couldn't think of a way to end it, to end the scenario. And eventually he yelled out that he wanted me to spread open my legs because he wanted to see what was in between them and wanted to see what kind of underpants I was wearing. And at this point, I was left in no doubt that there was something very wrong going on and that I needed to get away. And I it was like in one of those dreams, is how I remember it, where you can't move your legs or you can't move your body, you can't get away from the monster. And I desperately wanted to and I couldn't. And very thankfully, this is where the bit of divine intervention comes in, is that as he he opened the door, he opened the cabin door of the truck and started to slide across the seat to come towards me, to get out of the truck to walk towards me. and. There is just no doubt in my mind that I felt a hand on the small of my back. And by that, I don't mean him. He hadn't reached me, thank goodness. But it was like a, I don't know, a disembodied hand, but a very firm pressure on the small of my back that pushed me forward and pulled me up off the ground. I'll never forget it. It was an incredibly powerful feeling, but I remember just getting up and just being propelled by whatever this other force was, being propelled to just run. And run I did, and I ran into the house and went straight to my cousin, and I remember in whatever childlike way we would have talked about it, that, yeah, we did talk about it. He knew what had happened. It was all very weird and creepy. But I clearly remember not wanting to tell my grandmother for some reason, not wanting to tell her what had happened. And I really, I mean, the reasoning, who knows why I thought that wasn't the right thing to do at the time, but I wanted to wait until my mum came home from the gig and tell her because I felt that she was the one that was going to do something about it. And so that's what I remember deciding to do. And that's where I can't remember the timeline, whether it was overnight that, you know, I thought about doing this and then she came back the next day. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. But I remember running to the car as she pulled up in the driveway 
after she'd come to collect me and telling her what had happened and telling it in quite a bit of detail, I remember, because I was very clear about it. And I knew somewhere even in my child's mind, I knew that the fact that he hadn't gotten me, that he hadn't succeeded in taking me with him, which I had no doubt that's what he was going to do, that he was going to look for somebody else and that there would be somebody else that he took. He would move on to the next child that was going to be more compliant than I was. And I felt a feeling of almost desperation of knowing that something had to be done about it, that I had to be able to tell somebody we needed to call the police, you know, a lot of things like that that I suppose do go through your mind no matter what age you are when things like that happen. But I just felt that I knew that there was something a bit desperate about the situation. And then I remember mum being, you know, shocked and a bit upset and, you know, she listened to me. She heard what I said. She listened to the story. But then a few minutes later, I can clearly recall her speaking to my grandmother and them both talking about it inside the house and coming to the conclusion pretty much that there was nothing that could be done at that point that he'd left and there was no point calling the police because, you know, where were they going to find him? They weren't going to be able to get him now. And then nothing was done about it. And and honestly, that just did set the seed in my life for a lot of incidents like that where nothing was ever done about it and no action was taken. And I still now just have a sick feeling in my stomach of just wondering what became of that man and and how many other people he did manage to hurt along the way because he was a utter creep and was just very thick is the feeling that I had then and what I have now. Anyway, so, and yeah, I just remember at the time feeling that I knew that if he had gotten his way, this man, then I would never have been seen again. I know that with all my heart, and I'm very grateful to be here to tell the story. And yeah, that just, I guess, in a way, this was just the incident that kind of sets the scene for uh, many years afterwards of just strange and fairly random occurrences that, you know, to be honest, are a lot heavier than this story. And that's also what I want to kind of put the warning in place about because this is fairly mild in comparison, but it was a real, you know, setting the scene thing for a lot of incidents later. So, yeah, I guess that's the end of that story to a huge degree. There's a lot more I could say about it, but I feel like I would get into rambling mode and we don't want to be doing that. So, yeah, I just want to thank you again for listening. The next episode will be coming in about a week or so, and that is quite a bit heavier than the ones leading up to it. And, yeah, I might need a little bit of lead up sort of mentally and spiritually speaking. I hope it doesn't take me more than a week to get that one out. I'll do my best. And I want to say hi to the listeners that I've got that are apparently, according to my statistic thing, mostly in Australia, but apparently I've got some in America, New Zealand, and even Brazil. So hello to my listeners in Brazil. It's just really funny to think that there's people in other countries listening to me rambling on with my stories. Quite humbling. 
But anyway, thank you again. And yeah, this is Bullseye. My name is Tamsin Wolf, and this has been the third episode. Thank you so much for your support and the love I've received in the way of messages and encouragement from all sorts of people since I started. And I hope that you will stick with me and hear the rest of my stories. Lots of love to you. Bye. Bye.